when we have that power, we're going to have more responsibility for the budget. But we don't have that responsibility at the moment. It's the mayor's budget. We don't have to vote for it. But at the same time, if we actually voted against it, that's going to make things a lot worse. I'm Neil Maggs, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, the Bristol Cable. I am really looking forward to getting on with the job and representing this amazing community with the commitment and enthusiasm that it deserves. Thank you all so much. You're listening to the newly elected Green Councillor, Patrick McAllister, as he accepts his position representing Hotwells and the Harborside, making the Green Party the largest party on Bristol City Council. Today, in this episode of Bristol Unpacked, I'm talking to the leader of the Green Group, Emma Edwards, who was also recently elected by the party to lead the group in a critical period of Bristol City's governance as we prepare to move from a mayor to a committee system next year. Emma is the councillor for Bishopston and Ashley Down and was elected in 2021. Enjoy. Hello, Emma. Hello. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Congratulations are in order. You are now the leader of the Green Group of Councillors in Bristol. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, it's a challenge, but I'm really looking forward to it. And a baptism of fire last week in the um, budget being set. And I was following, not religiously, because it's five hours long. Like, <laughs> it would have bored me senseless. Well, I was We're following, not even following it all the time. Yeah, I was following it on our lovable LDR, Adam Posnan's Twitter feed. And one thing did strike me, which made me laugh, and I'm going to read it out now, is it, there's an issue over your microphone. And he says, oh. they've passed Councillor Edwards a handheld mic. If someone doesn't break into song when it's their turn, we've all missed a trick. So did you break into song? And if not, I why? Didn't. I didn't. Next time, I promise. Honestly, I mean, I'm very pleased I didn't burst into tears because at that stage, I was already nervous. It's kind mm. of a maiden leader speech. and yeah. Budget's not. I mean, Heather, my predecessor, was queen of the budget where I'm more trams and bikes. So mm. I was quite nervous. And then the mic kept breaking and then a handheld. And yeah, I think I was triggered into bad karaoke memories and so were you wandering around with a microphone sing handheld then were you i'm just yeah, like a stand-up okay i kind of had yeah. like my you know, speech in one hand and the handheld in the other and i was just, yeah. and then my mouth went really dry i was like oh this is a great start this is <laughs> <laughs> but were you happy with how it went your maiden speech yeah i mean I, yeah i mean not, maybe not the speech so much but i'm happy with the overall experience of the day I, it, it was always going to be a long day a difficult mm-hmm. day there's a lot of variables in the budget meeting because there's so many different elements with different amendments and decisions that the mayor makes and how the councillors are feeling about those decisions so yeah I was nervous but I am really happy with how it went overall and everyone else's speeches were great and the logistics of it for those that aren't in the sort of political bubble so it's Heather Mack who was your um, predecessor does it rotate every year or something or how does it work what with the leadership yeah with the leadership yeah yeah so we have internal elections so the group vote for their leader every year and that's for the deputy and the whip as well mm. so it's like a coordination team of three so you put and yourself forward do you, you, you have put to do yourself that? Yeah. forward yes so heather decided not to put herself forward again she'd yeah. had her year and worked really hard at it so yeah i put myself forward but why? i know other why, parties why, do it why, why did you do that 
I I mean, I have the capacity and I don't think all counsellors do at the mm. moment. But I mean, more than that, I just think I can kind of see how, I suppose that's why I became a counsellor in the first place, when you see how you can improve a situation or you can help a situation. And I really love this group of counsellors. I know that sounds very cheesy, but mm. kind of see the potential in everyone. And we could be, we are the biggest group now. We could be a much bigger group next year. We've got a committee system. It's kind of a preparing for power, really. Mm. It's an interesting time to take the reins. So at the moment, yeah, you are, you've become the biggest with 25 seats to Labour's yeah. 24, which presumably, I guess, if the direction of travel continues, as you just said, that will increase. Do you have a sort of number or a target you're building towards? I don't think we've got a specific number. I mean, there's certainly some wards that we are very active in where we, in 2021, I don't know if you know how we work, but we do, we have to target seats where we think we've got a chance because we're quite limited in resources as a party. Mm. And there were places where we just put in a sort of paper candidate on the ballot and some of them got really close to, to actually taking the seat. So we've had to really think about where we're going to stand to target candidates next time around. And there are already Greens in those wards kind of doing voluntary work and community work and getting involved. So it's going to be really exciting, I think. Where has this surge come from? Because there's been a lot of hot takes on social media in particular that some people see this as people becoming more and more attuned generally to to green issues and the green party building momentum others have said this is a kind of reaction perhaps to some of the way politics has been done by the labor party and in particular the mayoral team others with a sort of longer take on bristol said we've been here before we had this with the liberal democrats and that sort of where, for you what's the sort of primary factor for this surge i guess you could call it I mean, I think it's a combination of factors. I mean, nationally, because we're not the first city to have a green surge. We've got lots of councillors in Brighton, in Sheffield. So I think there is a concern about the environment. I mean, that's always what we were known for. And that's becoming more in the public consciousness, I think, with XR and stop oil. So people are becoming more aware of environmental issues. And I think at a local level, we are just... It's a huge surge in councils across the UK. We're very, we are a grassroots party, and so that that kind of getting involved at a local level is something that we've always done. So we are kind of a natural alternative. Mm. In Bristol, it's a student city. It's a city that's always had a kind of conscience about different social justice, environmental justice factors. As you say, it is also a city of protest. So whoever's, we will you, have a big sort of change that, in politics. Ex- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. I think, because yeah. if you look at the cities where the Green Greens are doing well, or have done well, Brighton, Sheffield, student cities as well, people that are a bit more perhaps progressive in their politics anyway. Yeah, and that kind of social justice is really important. And maybe then there is a factor that, the Labour Party that have been in, you're seeing what's happening on a national level with the Labour Party. They're not standing up against bills that are going to stop people from striking, for example, where we are very keen on, I mean, we're a bit rent mob with the Green Party. We love a protest. We love a rally. We mm. love a picket line. I might be being glib there, but it is really, really at the heart of what we do is social environmental justice. Yeah. So I think people are quite hungry for that at the moment. Are you picking up a few laps, Labour? So I guess those more of the left or Corbynista types a bit more in response to the shift and change in direction of Labour nationally? We must be. I mean, I'm not a data analyst, so I don't know the actual yeah. data. But, you know, I 
I remember door knocking for Caledonia in 2019 in areas with green councillors and you'd hear it over and over again. Like, oh, we love the Greens. We love the Greens. We always vote for Greens locally, but we just love Jeremy Corbyn. So we're going to vote Labour. Without Jeremy Corbyn, I like Jeremy Corbyn. I think we were all really excited to see somebody like Corbyn as the leader of the opposition. Now he's gone and people are seeing Labour swinging back a bit more central. I mean, I'm being very polite there. Sure. I think people are hungry for proper left-wing politics. But obviously the polls in a broader sense, reflect that the Labour Party are, in their own right, nationally surging forward under Starmer and look electable again? Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, I mean, <laughs> anything even slightly left of the Tories are going to seem quite attractive at the moment because they've swung so far to the right. Mm. And I can understand why the Labour Party are swinging to the centre more because they've got a huge amount of Tory voters to pick up. And I don't think we're under any illusion that the Labour Party are going to have a huge surge nationally at the next election. Yeah. What is, and I don't know because I know that Keir Starmer has changed his stance slightly on this, but I, I think people are really hungry for a, a different way of electing politicians. I think PR is something that la the Labour Party have always been very resistant to. Yeah. And I, I can see that's just about changing now. And I think that is going to be the thing that's going to make people excited about politics again, because people get very apathetic. Do you think PR is an idea that was ready before its time, perhaps? The folks on AV, which is similar. It's, ne it's never played out <laughs> particularly well with public opinion. But I just wonder now, as we move forward with more sort of two-party dominance and perhaps also alternatives like yourself, gaining momentum, whether people will start to think a bit more about PR. Yeah, I mean, people are only resistant to proportional representation in the UK. I mean, yeah. there's only us and Belarus left in Europe who are the, uh, the only two countries that still have first past the post. All other countries have some form of proportional representation. Obviously, the EU itself. I don't know if it, there's been resistance in the past and that's been tied into Brexit, people being suspicious of different political systems. I don't know if it's just because of the power of the two-party system in the UK. Yeah. But I think people are ready for a change. Even something like us changing to the committee system next year, to me, that is a sign that people want more democracy. They want to be more involved. They don't want just very powerful politicians behind closed doors making decisions. It's an interesting comparison. I want to talk a bit about the, specifically about the budget and a little bit about mm. you in a minute, but it's particularly interesting, I think, the perception of what happens in Bristol politically outside of the city compared to inside. I do a bit of media work in London and outside Bristol, and you talk to sort of journalists or people that are into politics and they have this sense that Bristol is this sort of progressive alliance with Greens and Labour and Lib Dems and Tories are completely out. And there's this sort of, it's a utopia of what progressive politics could look like nationally. Not realising that actually you lot have been at each other's throats really for about the last <laughs> two years, haven't you? And it's anything but that. And I just think that's quite interesting. I guess one of the problems is unless people do start to work together, if we just park Bristol for a minute nationally, then you are really kind of letting in the Tories through the back door again. Yeah, it kind of makes me a bit sad when I hear that because, I mean, I don't leave Bristol, I feel like ever. I'm kind of always here. But to find out how people view us from the outside and 
I think that is probably why the committee system did get voted for is because mm. people do want that. I want that. I think we all want that to an extent. We don't want the kind of hostile and sort of antagonistic politics that we've currently got in City Hall. Mm. Nobody's enjoying it. I can't even believe Labour councillors are enjoying it. Can I time. ask you a question on that, Emma? It, mm. And it is a bit of a pushy question, but how much of that for you is the mayoral system or how much of you is the character of the mayor himself? Oh, um, I, I just, I've only been a councillor under under Marvin, so I haven't, yeah. I wasn't a councillor under George Ferguson, so I, I've, it's a bit of a guess, the answer, but it feels like it's probably more this mayor than the mayoral system. Mm-hmm. That being said, I guess the only thing I would compare it to is, is when I go to Wecker, so the West of England Combined Authority meetings, and yeah. we've got a metro mayor. And when you look at other cities, they have metro mayors. And that the concept of the metro mayor does make some sense. But also that just that room feels less antagonistic. Yeah. So that to me shows that there is, it is a personality thing as well. Okay. Because Labour yeah. Party themselves, I know it's a Conservative Party idea, but Labour do like mayors because obviously... They do pretty well in most metropolitan cities, don't they? So they, that's kind of where their power base is. So philosophically, you were against the mayoral system. You presumably you obviously voted to to remove the mayoral system in the city. I actually did quite a bit of campaigning on the referendum. I mean, it was mainly the Lib Dems' idea, but we were certainly very supportive and helped a lot on that. And yet, you um, voted against it when it was first put forward to the House as a party. It wasn't until after the second mayoral election that the Greens actually agreed to the motion. Yeah. Possibly. I don't think that was before I was elected, I okay. think. Yeah. Yeah. And that leads to the question, which is, had Mayor Marvin Rees offered two or three cabinet positions to Green Party members? I know he's got a good relationship with Tony Dyer, for example, somebody like Tony or a couple of others. Would that have made the Green Party think less about voting to get rid of the mayoral system, you think? I think it might have made them think less of it Mm. I mean for me committee systems is it's green party it's actually in our green party policy that we support committee systems over mayoral systems because again it's this pro-democracy thing it's this pro-PR it's this getting as much democracy into the system as possible. So that is one of the reasons. Yeah. That being said, I know George Ferguson had a rainbow cabinet. I think actually Marvin did to begin with. Yeah, but briefly. what has yeah. happened when Reese made that decision not to put any Greens in his cabinet, which is absolutely his choice, we were just brand new councillors. We went in there and to be met with that level of, I, he actually said the words, you have to build trust to be in like our inner circle. I don't mm. trust you. So to go in as a brand new councillor, you just work really hard. You're really excited. You're kind of wide-eyed and yes, I want to make the city better. To have the mayor turn around to you and say, I don't trust you, that feels really hostile. <laughs> and as you say, there are people like Tony Dyer, there are councillors who've been around for a really long time and have really proved themselves, people like Martin Fodor, for example, and to say, I don't trust you, then you're building a relationship from kind of the back foot then because Mm. you don't trust me, but you don't know me. You're assuming something negative about us before we've even started. So that had an impact on people thinking, right, pretty sure a conversation in the corridors happened, which is we're going to bring another amendment. The Lib Dems brought this forward, didn't they? They did. I mean, it was there was so much we wanted to do. We, I think there was a big sense of proving ourselves as a party when this new group came. So there was so much we wanted to do in terms of like transport and the environment. And also, you've got to remember that the Lib Dems 
their mayoral candidate ran on one manifesto, which was to abolish to the metals, it, yeah, to have yeah. a referendum. So we couldn't really take that away from the Lib Dems because that was their yeah. thing. And, and we yet you didn't know. Yeah, yeah. As I know you're not whipped like other parties are. There is a degree of autonomy with Green Party members, which there aren't in some other parties. But had Sandy Hall Riven won as mayor, do you think you still would have voted this way? Or? It's, it's something I think I thought about at the time. I think it would have created more of a split. I think it would have probably caused more sort of discussions in a, you say we're unwhipped, but you know, that's, it, it's not a free for all. If anything, we spend a lot more time coming to consensus and okay. trying to find steers in the same way, probably more than other parties because we're not whipped. So I think there would have probably been more interesting discussions yeah. <laughs> and it would have, it would have depended on how Sandy had done that. Would, would Sandy have had a, a rainbow cabinet? Would, how would that have gone? So there's yeah. quite a lot of variables to that answer, I think. Okay. But we move forward with the committee system, May 2023. How is the handover happening? Is there an effective handover from the old system to the new system? How supportive of that process are the current team being? So the mayoral team, I'm, I don't think are being supportive at all. I mean, you, and I, I, that's not me being behind anyone's back. I mean, you only need to hear Marvin talk about it. He thinks it's set to fail. I'm sure he does. He said it many times. He's certainly not very encouraging about it. The mm. other thing is, is when we've just had the budget process, is that there has not been any budget put in for that de- democratic handover. Now, we know from Sheffield that it's cost a chunk of money to put in those new processes. So that's democratic services, staff support, just the kind of things that the mayoral office and the cabinet have to be transferred over to the cabinet system. There is no budget for that. My very first decision as as Green Group leader was, do we put in a budget amendment to find some money to support the committee system? In the past, we've done budget amendments that have tried to cut the... Well, it's quite an overblown mayor's office. There's quite a lot of staff there, some of them on quite good salaries. It felt like we were just going to get told off if we tried to ask. We are going to need money for the committee system, but I just don't think trying to get it at this stage, we're going to have any success. And that sounds really cynical, I know, but we've got a committee. I mean, generally, you guys are going to need to work together, though, aren't you? Obviously, beyond that, the mayor won't be there, but obviously other Labour councillors. There has to be a bit of work to be done to build bridges for this committee system to work. Absolutely. But outside of the mayor and the cabinet, we do. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. Oh, God, absolutely. I get on really well with a lot of the Labour councillors. We sit on like licensing, which is a regulatory committee, which we work together, area committees. I've got two Labour councillors in the ward next to mine, so we often have to chat about Hawfield Common when yeah. you get on fine. You know, you meet a Labour councillor who's really interested in trams, <laughs> bikes, yeah. you get chatting. People become councillors for similar reasons. They want to make their city a better place. They like their communities. Labour are a left-wing party, as are the Greens. We will have more in common than we don't. It's just the current system makes it really difficult for us to work together. How long have you been a Green Party member, Emma? Since 2016, I think. 2016, yeah. Okay. And you're a hypnotherapist, a yoga teacher and a diversity trainer. Yeah. Yes. Dare I say, if you could pick a stereotype of a green councillor, that probably <laughs> that sort of leads on to the thing that that's a. I would imagine that kind of description of somebody that was a leader of the Greens is the immediate thing that sort of pricks Marvin's kind of irritates him a bit. I think. 
you know what I mean? He would have you pigeonholed straight away with that description, wouldn't he? Yeah, probably. And <laughs> we met. He we, he wanted to meet us all when we were elected. But I also slightly, yeah. But I also grew up in Bristol, like you did, Marvin. You know that we have got stuff in common, even if yeah. even if I've, I'm an idea of a stereotype. And also, the thing is about Greens is there's lots of stereotypes. Yeah. You kind of go out to the little villages in the shires, and there's a completely different stereotype of a Green councillor. Mm. I think we've got somebody once said to me, and it made me really laugh. Somebody at a conference was like, "The Green Group in Bristol, it's like tw- oh, it was 24 at the time, 24 of the archetypes of all the different types of." Green. green but we get called all sorts we get called yeah. but it's very interesting because i i think i made this point after the last by-election mm. is that these stereotypes always come around whenever we win a by-election or there's a seat and we get called tories on bikes that's tories why on bikes, yeah lib dems in sandals yeah. but then we get called <laughs> marxists on bikes as well and it's, 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 okay yeah. yeah oh yeah especially in tory areas where yeah. people have voted green and then they're like you be careful they're just marxists on bikes and it's yeah. Nobody's actually read our policies. I guess there are stereotypes in any party, aren't there? But I think, you know, within your party, when a councillor mentioned Tony Dyer before, he, he yeah. doesn't fit that, does he? Cleo Lake doesn't really fit that. Yassin doesn't really fit that. I would argue you're probably evolving and slightly changing. And what I thought was really interesting after the last election, when you won all these seats, was the immediate response from Labour was that there wasn't enough diversity in the cabinet anymore. And there was a fear that it was sort of being dominated by, I guess, white middle-class people. Well, when you heard that, what was your feeling? I mean, within about a month, Marvin had blocked Mohammed Makawi on Twitter. I won't speak to him. And it's just like, there's a link that you could have made. You could reach out to the people of colour within the Green Party and make really good alliances. And you haven't done that. So... I don't know. I think diversity is something that all parties, and especially the Green Party, we need to keep working on because disenfranchised people are not always going to feel welcome in politics. And that's something that needs to change anyway. So we've got just as much a challenge, if not more, than other parties because we're newer. (laughs) And there is those stereotypes that you were talking about. And what was the main driver for you to come into politics? I mean, I've been kind of interested in politics, like since I was a child, like my parents were really politically engaged. I mean, neither of them were in politics, but they were very interested in politics. Mm. And then I went to university in Liverpool, which as you can imagine, is just like very left wing, very passionate about politics there. But it was always just something that was in the background. And then I got more involved over lockdown my business was my work other work was kind of going down especially being a yoga teacher because yeah. all the studios shut so I got involved zoom, on zoom video, video we were doing it on yeah. zoom but then there were these big companies that would move GB that were kind of making it really okay. hard to make any money and I joined a union and then that got me kind of more politically involved and then somebody it, one of the Green Party members said oh you know you should put yourself forward to be a candidate and I got talked into it and it just felt like the right time didn't Tory with Labour then? The Greens? No. No. I have, I'm just trying to think. I have voted Labour in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Valerie, Valerie yeah. Davis, I think, back then. But I find that I just found the Greens more exciting. I think because of that kind of grassroots thing, but also yeah. over Europe, that was a big thing. I found that the Greens were more proactive when it came to being against Brexit, mm-hmm. slightly more global vision. Yeah. So you did mention climate issues then when I asked you, I was expecting that to be the first thing you would say. <laughs> 
No, or is that or is that I, the new strategy to put that in the back to push forward the more social factors? Because I think that's an important thing that Greens don't want to be seen as a single party, single issue party. So, one, actually, I mean, yes, I mean, I've always been involved in climate protests and things. I've always been interested in environmental issues. I think it was the airport expansion rally yeah. that was when I first met Carla Denya properly. This airport rally in two thousand seventeen. And we like really got chatting and I got to know some of the councillors and the candidates a bit more. So that, yeah, and that's obviously linked to climate change as well. This is the advert bit, so feel free to zip on if you like. But those who haven't heard and don't know anything about the cable, stop and just quickly listen to this. We are a cooperative and uh, that means we're a membership organisation and you can become a member. And that basically means you sign up from the website and you chuck some money in each month. It could be anything from a pound, five pound, ten pound, whatever you can afford. And you get a chance to have a say in meetings, AGMs, uh, put forward suggestions for articles we can write, guests for this show, anything really the media needs a bit of a kick up the backside in this city and, uh, and wider so this is a chance to actually get off the fence get off the sofa and uh, have your say back to the chat so how would you describe your politics and what does good look like to you if you suddenly had the levers of power Ooh. in the country what would be the, <laughs> what's the vision what's the vision of good I think it comes down to that idea of sort of social justice. I think what's happened over, I mean, social and environmental justice, but to me that they're very intrinsically linked and economic justice as well. Yeah. I feel like on many different factors, we're kind of in the uh, frog in a pot of boiling water analogy where it's just been slowly been turned up, where this kind of there's been this widening gap between the very ultra rich and the growing amount of poverty that we're seeing everywhere. And it's kind of happening and it's slightly been manipulated so that people don't see the kind of cause and effect. And addressing that imbalance is the main thing we need to do in this country, I think. So things like universal basic income, that would be a classic thing, which I think is really addresses that, that inequality. We need a way to find... There's some form of economic re- rebalance. Like when you read like what it is to be a billionaire, do you know what I mean? <laughs> read yeah. that and you're like, it should be illegal. It should be, it's so immoral to be a billionaire <laughs> and people don't seem to have a problem with it. And it's like. Yeah. So some sort of look, redis, some higher taxation redistribution. Yeah, some redistribution of wealth. I think that's essential. I think there's a lot of just basic stuff that we can do that would just, address inequalities, but also um, address the environment, which we're just not doing, like cycle lanes. It's so simple. Like I think people might, again, see me as a bit of a stereotype for banging on about cycle lanes, but cycling is one of the most equitable forms of transport there is. You don't need to rely on fuels. I mean, I said, obviously for able-bodied people, but you know, you get people who can cycle cycling, then you do free up roads and public transport for people who can't cycle, who who need that. So it kind of runs through every level, this idea of, of finding equality. And that a lot of that is to do with, yeah, just the way we plan our cities. Do you have some degree of cynicism to how the current Labour administration have been cosy with big business in Bristol? Do you feel that? And are you surprised? Yeah, yeah. I think that might be part of the disconnect that 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 the mayor feels with the greens you what you were just talking about with 
stereotypes and you know what we stand for and you know where we are politically i th- i think what we are offering is something that people really want but to the mayor it might seem anti-growth it might seem anti-ambitious we get called naysayers we get called unambitious all the time but i don't think people re- are really i don't think they really care about that i think what they care about is can I get my kids into a local school without them having to take three buses across Bristol? Can I get to work on a bus? Is the bus going to turn up? Is my road going to flood every time it rains? These are the things that we kind of deal with. Yeah. This is what we hear that people want. Is the air going to be clean enough to breathe? I've never been on the doorstep when I've and asked people what they care about. And they've said, I think Bristol needs to be a bigger power on the world stage, <laughs> you know, yeah. which yeah. is, that's the mayor's vision. And yeah. I understand it. But this idea of kind of growth in this big, powerful, flashy, shiny future city, it's a great yeah. idea. But when we're in a place where we haven't got the buses running at the moment very yeah. well and people can't get their kids into a local school, I think you've just got to change those priorities. And the Greens, we're not promising big, flashy, shiny things. We are taking it back to grassroots stuff, community stuff, basic yeah. infrastructure stuff. And I think at the moment, that's what people want. I'm just going to play devil's advocate then on that because obviously yeah. there's been some criticism of the response to budget announcement, particularly from Labour, but that, that's obviously would be the case. But I think they've announced £450 million budget, which the mayor himself said is a considerable achievement. And we are unapologetically ambitious about that. And that does include things like 27 libraries protected, 22 children's centres protected, local crisis prevention fund warm houses. I mean, those are all good things. How can you abstain from that? Oh, they are good things, undoubtedly. So abstaining from the budget isn't necessarily just about this budget. This is still a cuts budget. This is still Tory austerity in action. And local authorities up and down the country are having to deal with these cuts budget. What did you just say then? we've protected libraries we've saved them it's that's not more libraries that's saving the library and it's like we're celebrating what we can hold on to in the face of tory austerity which which was an announcement by labor that they were cutting them in the first place to then say no we're not wasn't it yeah yes i mean i could be very cynical about that but we also didn't really have that much input into this budget so we all parties get a couple of weeks to read this big comprehensive budget and then bring a few amendments okay it's not something that we've had to get our teeth into. Let me read so, you some criticisms, Emma. So okay. here we go. Joe Raymond, who's a former Labour councillor, Bristol, Bristol Council budget tonight. Greens got every amendment they supported incorporated into the budget, yet they still won't vote for it and instead will abstain. Totally unserious party who won't take a decision for fear of criticism, therefore utterly incapable of governing. Councillor Nicola Beach, we haven't heard anything yet, but the largest group, on the council since the by-election and their first major action is to abstain. Kaz Self, who's a Labour Party member, she said, I find it surprising that Bristol media haven't made more commentary on this. If a party can't say yes or no to something as important as the budget, then that doesn't bode well for decision-making from 2024 onwards. How do you respond to that? I find it, I mean, I find it quite interesting how upset people have been by it. Like Labour really wanted us to support it. The Tories really didn't. We both, in the chamber that night, 
was told off by the Tories for saying yes and Labour for saying no. And we can't put, we, we're not going to support a cuts budget because then we're saying to the Tories, it's okay to cut local authorities. We're also in a privileged position this year that we are the biggest group and yet we aren't in power. What, what Nicola Beach said there, perhaps, you know, what you were saying a lot earlier about collaboration between Labour and the Greens. We haven't collaborated on this. We got two amendments through. That's great. We managed to improve the budget slightly and that's wonderful, but we didn't work with them on it. Under the committee system, we'll be working together on this and that's going to be different because then we own it or we don't. I mean, that's happening in Brighton at the moment where we're not stupid. We know that when we have that power, we're going to have more responsibility for the budget. But we don't have that responsibility for the budget at the moment. It's a Labour budget. It's the mayor's budget. We don't have to vote for it. But at the same time, if we actually voted against it and it didn't go through, then Marvin gets to bring a second one next week. If that mm. didn't go through, then what we're doing, we're handing the power to Whitehall and they're going to, that's just too much of a risk. That's going to make things a lot worse. So that being said, there was a lot of discussions. A lot of people wanted to vote against the budget and we understand that as well. And some of our councillors did. But philosophically speaking, you've kind of said you don't support austerity, obviously, but the reality is that a hand is forced to cut somewhere. So it's sort of moving forward if you were ever in government or you increase your majority in Bristol and you have to make unpopular decisions. Are you prepared to do that? I mean, probably we'll have to. As I say, we are not under any illusions that at the moment under to Tory austerity, cuts do have to be made. At the moment, we don't have to support that. But also, we have brought at least two motions now to full council, which have passed, which is about raising capital, like the workplace parking levy. Yeah. That's never materialised. Things that would raise money for the city. And we haven't had any input into that either. So, yeah. yes, we might have to make difficult decisions. And I'd be naive to say we wouldn't. But we will also get a chance to implement things that will raise money for the city and how we can use that money to improve, say, public transport, for example. There's a bit of a honeymoon period at the moment. And dare I say, you know, I remember the, the days when Marvin and his team came in post-George and it was seen as the dawn of a new era and it, the good guys were in and that was the kind of narrative. And I think you're in that space a little bit now where there is a, probably a lot of favour in your direction, but you're going to have to make difficult decisions. You're going to have to piss people off, inevitably. How prepared are you personally and collectively for that? It's probably quite new for a lot of you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there definitely is a feeling that we are growing and we're getting excited and we've got a vision. And we've got some councillors who've been around for many years who have seen these peaks and troughs with different parties. And it's the nature of power, isn't it? The second you get in, then people... If you haven't fixed things immediately or things haven't changed immediately, and things never change immediately because they don't in politics because things take time. Yeah, I think it will be difficult. Of course it will be difficult. Yeah. But I mean, we can, as I, I'm going to talk about Brighton again. Brighton had this, definitely. As soon as they got in, any tiny thing that went wrong, it was the bins, like, wasn't say, it? All the bins, the bins from the Brighton bins. Beach. Yeah, exactly. It's going to come, isn't it? It's going to come, I think. Of course it will. Yeah. Of course it will. And I think we've just got to keep our head down and just do what we say we're going to do and get get people on side. And I don't, I want to be optimistic about it. You yeah, know, I, to yeah. be optimistic. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> but I do think it's a high pressure situation. And I think that I've seen various councillors and probably both mayors under intense scrutiny and intense pressure 
probably get a little bit defensive and a little bit reactive, even to some good faith criticism, I think. As a party and as an individual, it is easier to be kicking from the outside a bit. You kind of said it yourself about enjoying a protest. That's one of the criticisms of the Greens, isn't it? It's a party of protest. When you actually get into a position of power when you have to make difficult decisions, it's not easy. And I think even individually, some people can deal with that pressure and some people can. Yeah, I mean... I suppose the difference is that like Labour have been in power before. The Tories have been in power, what feels like in perpetua. We've not really been in power yet. Give us a chance. (laughs) I I think what I said before about us being member-led and we are different. We We do, or maybe not like we are different. We're still politicians, obviously. We're still a political party, but we are run differently. And it's not always better. That It means that processes can take longer being member-led. It mm. means that we don't have as much money. We it, That takes us a huge amount of You're of, quite a purist, though, aren't you? As a party and as people, I would say, the same criticism is levied at the people of the left of, in Labour. And reality doesn't always match up to purity, does it? People will disappoint. People will have opinions and views that aren't reflective of what you think individually or collectively in the party. And it's dealing with that. And I think that, I guess, the politics of compromise is a necessity. And for some people struggle with that. I mean, I think they do. This goes back to people not knowing how to pigeonhole us. Are we Marxists on bikes? Are we Tories on bikes? I don't think any political party is immune from criticism. And I think we've, I think we've had more than most. We've never been in power. So it's not like... We, yeah. we've, we're we so well supported. I mean, yes, we're kind of having a bit of our day at the moment. We're having a surge as people get to know us. But with every single surge, you get criticism. Yeah. And all those stereotypes yeah. you were talking about, and you're not a serious party, you're all hippies, you you don't know what mm. you're doing, you're just a protest vote. We hear it all the time. It's not going to be such a shock when we are in, in power. <laughs> yeah, you're, immune, you're immune to that criticism already. I mean, yeah. it is water off a duck's back okay. in most in yeah. most instances. I mean... Are you going to have to increase the amount of yoga you do, though, on a daily basis to cope with the high pressure? Heavy wears the crown, Emma. Heavy wears heavy the wears, crown. Heavy yeah. wears the crown, so you do those neck exercises. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's there are days when I genuinely feel sorry for Marvin, and I will say that hand on heart, because, yeah. you know, the... Once you are in power, you are a target. But I think where it might be different with the committee system is you don't have that figurehead. And I do think as much as there is warranted criticism, there are times when he and George became like a hologram for everybody's fear and frustration is to just throw in that direction. And you have to, I mean, I often think that you have to be incredibly, I don't know, you have to be completely sociopathic. Like I think a lot of the sort of Jacob Reeves, Mock Boris types that it does literally just fall off their back because they don't care. Or is going to affect you as a human being, particularly if you're somebody that's quite sensitive or aren't always sure of yourself, that's going to have some kind of potential detrimental impact. I think it's got more toxic over the last few years. Social media, especially people sat at home on social media, just going, getting out all their frustrations. And as you say, the Tories seem to be almost immune to it. But it's a paradox, isn't it? Because the kind of people who are kind of good and kind and empathic and Mm. compassionate are probably a bit more sensitive and are probably less ruthless and therefore don't get in power. Yet the people who are a bit more ruthless and a bit more hardened to criticism end up in power. And that is something that I would like to see. Yeah, or or you you evolve. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. There's a danger of that. So that's kind of my question too. Somebody who who does yoga, who's a hypnotherapist, who helps other people, you presumably (laughs) somebody who's in touch with who you are emotionally and your core 
you're you're dedicated to personal development. Are you mindful of that? Will you spot those kind of things, have an awareness of, oh, I'm feeling like I'm reacting like I'm not? Or are you, are you determined to try and prove that you can be an empathic, centered, loving person and be in political leadership? Because there's a lot of evidence to, to suggest that that isn't the case, isn't there? <laughs> Historically well, and kind of... Yes, but yeah. also what if those things weren't incompatible? What if they were actually would make a leader a better leader? I'm just thinking about someone like Jacinda Ahern, who yeah. I, is a political idol of mine, who yeah. has found her limit. She's crossed her line. She's like, I've got to the point now where I'm obviously compromising myself as a person to carry on staying in politics, whether that's her mental health, her physical health, her family yeah. life has said, I'm stepping back. Nicola Sturgeon's also stepped back. Yeah. And it's like knowing like they've got, they've drawn a lot of criticism for that. They've been called weak. And I'm like, that's what I actually want in a politician. I want somebody who doesn't give up their health, their integrity for mm. the job, because that to me is more human than someone like, I don't know, let's go to the other extreme. Trump has mm. absolutely no self-awareness that he should not be anywhere near power whatsoever. Yeah, so yeah. I don't, I would love to us to go towards a, a, a place where our leaders, our politicians have got self-awareness and empathy and compassion and don't get hungry for power at the expense of everything else. What's obviously around the horizon, if we get a general election, and we have to talk just briefly about this, is yeah. there are high hopes for Green Party co-leader Carla Denyo, who will be standing again, to this yes. to, to unseat Thangle and Debonair. Bristol yes. West, I'm a bit confused about this because some people have given me contradictory information. With the new boundary changes, with yes. some of the chunks that are taken out of Bristol West and some that have been added in, are you seeing this as a favourable thing or not so favourable to the Greens? Favourable. Okay, explain why. Just if you look at the concentration of Green voters, I think at general, but certainly at local, I mean, 12 of the 14 councillor seats in that new ward are Green held. So all but two. About and 14, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's also a lot, I mean, obviously Carla is a councillor in one of those wards as well. I mean, I think Carla would have done well either way. I know I might sound biased saying that, but I think this actually does improve things for her. It does. And presumably the whole, you know, there will be people coming in, a bit of a party machine focusing on Bristol West, I would imagine, in the the build-up to this. Yeah? Yes. Feeling confident about it? I am actually. I'm feeling really confident. I was door knocking for her last time around and Mm. I heard some Greens saying they were voting Labour because they love Jeremy Corbyn, but I can't imagine those same people wanting to be excited about Keir Starmer, put it that way. And that's an interesting point. And I got into a few debates about this. There's parts of Bristol West that I think Thangham Debonair is very strong in, but I think that she probably benefited a little bit from that Corbyn surge first time around and I do think that a lot of people certainly in the sort of eastern green banky side of Bristol West are probably a bit left and I can imagine you could pick up quite a few sort of lapsed Labour people that yeah as you say with the change in the national picture could come in your direction. Yeah yeah absolutely and as you say all those people who vote green because of the environmental social justice I think that's become even more pressing this time around even in the last three years and Also, the last election, I remember there was that air of panic because the the previous election had gone more towards the Tories than people thought. And the second time around, it was like Labour needs to keep every single seat 
regardless, because it's going to be a close call. Again, first past the post, undemocratic, but there we go. This yeah. time around, I don't. I think every poll in the land is showing that Labour's going to win by a landslide, which means that people aren't going to be so concerned if Labour loses a seat, especially to Greens, because people are seeing what it's like to have a few extra Greens there. Caroline... Which is usually the biggest criticism. Of, yeah, which is usually yeah. the biggest criticism of the Greens, isn't it? That you're enabling the Tories. But that's always been irrelevant, largely, in most parts of Bristol anyway. Yeah, because Unless you're in the north, you know, where Darren is now, Tories have never done well there anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we often get told, oh, well, you should only ever stand yourself against Tories. But it's like, why would we do that? We are a left-wing party and in many ways are a lot more left-wing than Labour, certainly now, certainly with Kirst Armour in place. So we're going to have more green voters in the seats that are currently held by Labour. I mean, we, yeah. we just are. And certainly in Bristol West or Bristol Central, as it will be, this is where people are going to be the most hungry for a green MP. I know they can get one. And it's Carla, who has worked so hard in Bristol. and Got a bit of national profile now as well, obviously, yeah. with her new roles as co-leader. I've got to admit there, and this might, this might, you know, just my instinct, when I went to the Hustings, they didn't disagree on an awful lot, Thangham and, and Carla. It was like one or two things. I think their politics are quite similar. Whether that's changed since then, I don't know. Would that be fair? I mean, there's a few things I think they disagree on, to be honest. But I mean, one of the obvious things at the moment is what's going on with the strikes. I mean, Labour have not come out strongly against this policy to, to ban strikes. Yeah. Keir Starmer banned his front benches from attending picket lines. We're down the picket lines all the time chatting to people and they are so grateful that the Greens... But you can do that though, Emma, can you? You can do that because obviously you're not going to be in power in Westminster. So this is a strategic move, surely, by Starmer, that if suddenly they're seen to be out with all the strikers, then that's just going to give fuel and ammunition to, the, to say, look at this, bloody left-wing agitators striking. So I would hope that this was just a strategic political manoeuvre, because let's be honest, he's contradicted and changed his mind on several things to do with utilities, to do with rationalisation I mean, and stuff. It's very cynical yeah? though, isn't it? I mean, what's Labour for? <laughs> what's Labour for? That, I, uh, they would say to like... win, to be in power and enact real change, not to be a protest party. That could almost be a direct quote, yeah. I thought it was to support working people. <laughs> and you've got to win to be able to support working people? I mean, it, I think you've got to support people who need supporting, to be honest. I mean, come on, it's the NHS. It's the NHS. It's the nurses. This is where we're at. It takes a lot. I mean, I've got friends who are nurses. It takes a lot for nurses to strike. They yeah. do not strike lightly. I want to talk just a little bit about the Green Party itself. So somebody tweeted called Lizzie B, which said, if everybody who is unhappy with Labour's shift to the right voted for the Green Party, what do you think would happen? Why do they just, mm. what, why do they not just do this? Vote for an actual left-wing party with socialist policies and get the Tories out. You responded by saying, not just vote, but join. join. You're a member-led yeah. party. We don't have big donors or affiliations. We have members and being a member means that you have a say. Yes. Um, you feel momentum is with you now. I feel we're getting momentum, yes. And I, it's very interesting, coming back to that point about not knowing who we are and getting that wrong. I've door knocked in Eastern and Central and Bishopston, but I've also gone out door knocking in Congresbury and Long Ashton. <laughs> very different demographics of people. 
I think if you go purely on our policies, we are very left wing. However, you go out to some rural areas where we're all about stopping big roads being built or airports expanding and protecting green spaces and trees. And we're probably going to mop up some Tory Lib Dem voters as well. We are member led. And I think that is something that people often hear going, oh, I would vote green, but there's not a candidate in our area. And it's like, yeah. stand as a candidate stand then, because yeah. we, yeah. we don't just have a bank of like well-formed candidates that we can just go and parachute into places like big parties can. We need to go, from a, go into a community and build from the bottom up. And it takes work. But if any community wanted to do that, we would help them. Yeah. Okay. And your next step with you being leader, what's around the corner? Yeah, so we've, the next full council is our golden motion, which we're going to be deciding on this week. We'll be in discussions this Friday yeah. and uh, yeah, and then okay. get, getting back to looking at all our policies and the committee committee, of course. Great. I wish you all the best and I hope next Thank time you. you speak, the microphone does work. Although maybe that could be your thing. Everyone needs like a little MO. I think mine is the sort of beard and glasses. It could be your thing. It could be wherever you go. You just have a roaming mic. And you just yeah. sort of walk around. I just get a headset like Madonna, just wear that all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could do. Yeah. Thank you ever so much. It's been great talking to you and, and I wish you um, I wish you all the best, Emma. Cool. Thanks ever so much. Cheers. Bye-bye. Many thanks to Emma Edwards, this week's guest on Bristol Unpacked. And we will be back next week with a brand new guest on another fantastic topic. I'm Neil Maggs. Big thanks to our executive producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, and to our production team from the Bristol Cable in collaboration with Ession Noise. Also, Blue Dot for our music.